Welcome, welcome to Back to School. Feels like the summer just flew by, but here we are going back to school. In class, I want to kind of introduce myself to you. Uh, my name is Mr. Dobler, but I'm also the PE coach around here. And uh, so you can call me Coach Mark uh, if you'd like to. And um, as the PE coach, I have my teaching assistant, um, Wilson, uh, here with me this morning. And if you were here uh, last week for our pre-back-to-school open house meeting, uh, you, you might remember Wilson. Uh, Wilson, last week, uh, just got hammered with a bunch of really ugly labels. How many of you remember that? If you were here, man, I mean, poor Wilson, he just, man, he took a beating. And uh, we found out that uh, Wilson has been called a reject. Uh, he's been called stupid. He's been called a pansy. He's been called a jerk. He's been called worthless. Poor Wilson just took it. And it was ugly last week. Uh, but I want to let Wilson know that it's going to get better. And Wilson wants to let you know that it is going to get better. And so I'm going to let Wilson sit here uh, for just a minute. Um, because the thing that really bothered Wilson about that last week is that when you got labeled with all those things, when we go back to school, the problem with going back to school is that image is everything. Image is everything. And how many, how many of you are actually students right now? Raise your hand, wherever you are. Okay, I know I got a big group down here, but I got some other students spread out uh, across uh, the auditorium this morning. And so if you're in school now, you know, I mean, this is, this is a real issue. That first day of school, you know, trying to look right, kind of show up in the right car, you know, and have the right stuff on and go to the right class, be standing in the right group of people. Image is everything. But I want you to know that this is not just an issue for you guys in school right now, because this has been around for a long, long time. This idea about image really being important goes way, way back, even into your parents' and your grandparents' time. There are people in New York, it's called Madison Avenue, and they literally spend billions and billions of dollars trying to tell you what your image should be, what the right image is, what it looks like, what it sounds like, where it goes, what it drives. So image becomes this really really critical thing. Now, let me just give you one example in, in our current world today. So um, on the bottom left, uh, you see a pair of shoes that many of you might recognize. Uh, and that is called a Nike, that's by Nike and it's an Air Jordan. Uh, the one in the top right hand side, obviously it's not exactly the same, but it looks pretty close, right? Now, in terms of how those shoes fit and feel, do you think there's a lot of difference between them? No, it's probably a little, but not much. In terms of the person you become by actually wearing one versus the other, does it really change who you are? No. But the one, the Air Jordan there, uh, and depend, there, are different, uh, there are different models, but depending on the model, it can run anywhere from about $230 to literally $500 for a pair of sneakers. Now, let me tell you something. If you think that you have to spend $230 to $500 for a pair of sneakers, not only do you have an image problem, you got a money problem <laughs> because you don't understand the value of money. But that model right there costs $280. And other ones that are similar can run anywhere from 230 to five. The ones on the top right-hand corner, anywhere from 11 to 50. <laughs> Give me the $11 shoes. 
Amen, sister. And, and parents, if you got kids that are getting ready to go, you can thank me right now because I'm trying to save you some money. <laughs> it just makes no sense whatsoever to spend 200 something dollars when you can buy a shoe that's virtually the same thing, does the same thing for 11, 12, 15 dollars. All right? But see, this whole thing about image becomes a pressing thing. And students, you need to know you're not the only ones dealing with this because while this has been around in school for a long time, your parents and your grandparents, a lot of adults in today's world, they're still wrestling with this whole image thing. See, like Wilson way back when, you know, they got labeled. They got labeled way back when they were younger and they still carry those labels. Their identity is still trying to overcome these labels and they can't shake them. They're still wrestling with them. They go to work and there's some people at work that are labeling them. They never got over it. And they're still carrying these labels around just like Wilson from last week and it still affects how they conduct their lives. Because we live in a culture where image is everything. Now, we can, we can rail against that. We can gripe about it. But it is the world that we live in. And church, it's not going to change. Students, this is not going to change. So if it's not going to change, then what do we do about this? How do we deal with these labels that get stuck to us, sometimes put on us by other people? Sometimes we put these labels on ourselves, don't we? In fact, I think if we're being honest, we probably put a lot more labels on ourselves than other people even put on us. So how do we deal with these labels that we carry around, we're dealing with in school, we're dealing with in the workplace, we're dealing with later on in life and we just can't seem to shake this? How do we overcome this identity and this image problem that is associated with these labels that present to ourselves and everybody else a picture that we don't want anybody to see and we don't even like it ourselves? How do we deal with that? Well... I want Wilson to know and I want you to know that our ebook is actually going to help us figure that out. So open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to start our school year off with the first chapter of our ebook because I think this is key to getting our school year started in a very healthy and positive way. So Father, as we get ready to open up your word, I pray that you will reveal it. God, just open it wide open. God, surprise people this morning with the power of your word. And Lord, may we be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading right now from the New King James Version. So if you've got that and it sounds exactly like what I've got, then we're in the same thing. If you've got a digital version, you might want to grab the NKJV and it'll sound exactly the same. Verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, continuing in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All right, so right off the bat, let's set the tone here. Paul is basically saying, hi, I'm Paul, I'm your teacher. And I'm glad to have you here today. And I'm, I'm addressing the class in Ephesus. And by extension, today, I'm addressing the class at Orchardville. And he goes on to say that it's going to be a good class because it's a great subject, because it's about a great God. And he's got great things to share with us. How many of you like to show up to school and the first class you've got is like, man, this is going to be awesome. 
Let me tell you something. One class that is not awesome is eight o'clock. First, first, first class of my college career was an eight o'clock Monday class of calculus. Never sign up for that at eight o'clock in the morning on, on uh, Monday. It's, that's a terrible way to start your college career. That is not how you do it. But when you can go in the first class, it promises to be exciting and, and full of, of good things. Like, man, you can't wait to get there. And Paul is saying, this is going to be that kind of class. And he says that the, the Lord has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, I know sometimes when people get ready to go back to school and, and they get their book bag and... Uh, you know, it's like, I just don't have a whole lot in my book bag. I wish I had more stuff because so-and-so's got good stuff and they got good stuff and I don't really have a lot of good stuff in my book bag. And students, don't forget, because I'm talking to your parents and your grandparents too, because they don't have a book bag for school, but trust me, they got their own bag of stuff they're carrying around and they wish they had more stuff in their bag. Am I, am I speaking the truth? Okay, just wanna make sure. And Paul is saying that God has put so much more stuff in your bag than you realized. It's spiritual. Now, we don't always see the spiritual stuff. But Paul said, if you open up your spiritual eyes, you'll realize that God has given you a bag full of spiritual goodies. And it's all awesome. And so as he continues, we start to understand what those spiritual goodies are. And church, they become labels that overcome these labels. Let's, watch, let's check this out. Let's look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So I hope you're taking notes. Here's one thing. You need to know that one label that God has given you is the label of chosen. You're chosen. Does anybody ever remember going out to the playground? I don't know if you guys do playground or not anymore, but I remember going to the playground and you pick teams. Remember that? And there were some people always got picked early in the process of picking teams. And there was always those people that were the last ones picked or not picked at all. And if you were one of those people standing on uh, in, in the middle of the crowd waiting to be picked, man, that's excruciating. How many of you remember what that felt like? It's excruciating. I mean, because you just want to be chosen. You just want somebody to pick you. And beyond the playground, this even goes when class projects get assigned, right? Okay, you guys group up, find yourself a bunch of partners to do the class project with. And there are people that are always on the fringe waiting for somebody to pick them and include them in their group. And this morning, this morning, Paul is saying, that in God, you don't have to worry about that. You're chosen. He chose you. He picked you on the team. And he did it because he wanted you. How good is that to know? Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So the second label that you need to understand this morning, not only have you been chosen, you were predestined. You're like, well, that's a word that we don't talk about much. I don't even know what the heck that means. Well, let me tell you what predestined is all about. That means that you weren't a pity pick. How many of you know what I mean by a pity pick? That's when everybody else has been picked and there's only a handful of people left and nobody really wants that last person or two, but they feel sorry for you and so they pick you because there's nobody else to pick from. So I guess I'll take you. Well, gee, thanks. 
Now, if you've ever been one of those pity picks, it doesn't feel good. Oh, wow, I got on the team, but they still don't really want me on the team. They only picked me on the team because there was nobody else to pick from. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. And Paul is saying that God picked you before there was even a pick to be made. Wow. God looked way down through eternity and he saw you. And he didn't go, well, there's nobody else to pick from, so I guess I'll pick you. There wasn't even a group lined up to pick from yet. But God had his eye on you. And he saw you through the ages that were, came before you. And he said, I see you and I want you and I pick you even before we even get to that place. Not because I feel pity for you, but because I want you. You're predestined. And then he, later in that verse, he also says, that you're adopted. Now, church, I'm just blown away by this. You know why? Because this isn't an accidental pregnancy and an accidental birth. You know, sometimes there are families and they'll wind up loving them, but they didn't plan to have a baby. It, it sort of surprised them and, and, well, okay, we've got this child and we're gonna love it, but we didn't plan for this. Adoption doesn't work that way. You don't have an accidental adoption. You don't have an unplanned adoption. You understand what I'm saying? When there's an adoption, that means this has been thought out. I didn't walk down the street, fall into the adoption agency, and the next thing you know, I'm walking out with a child. It doesn't work that way. Adoption is a planned desire to say, I want a child as part of my family and I will go through whatever hoops are necessary to bring them into my family. And when you think about bringing them into your family, God didn't just pick you on the team and when the game is over, all right, good luck, y'all have a good day, go to your own home. No, he's bringing you into his own family, into his own house. You're adopted the full right of family membership. You are adopted, chosen, predestined, and by thought and intent, sought out and adopted. How awesome is that? Then he continues. Verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Another label that God has for you this morning is you're accepted. How many of you like to feel like you're on the outside looking in? I mean, that, that stinks, doesn't it? I mean, you know, there's something going on around you and it's like you're sort of in the crowd, but you're only in the crowd because they don't really have an option. Or there's a conversation that's going on. Have you, have you ever walked up to, into a conversation and all of a sudden the conversation stops? You ever done that? Don't you love that? Like, hmm. Well, I wonder what they were talking about. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were talking about you, but what it does mean is they don't want to talk about whatever it is with you. And they won't ask you to go away. You know what they'll do? They'll tolerate you. Does anybody like being tolerated? That is so unsatisfying. But Paul said, with God, 
No, you're not going to be tolerated. You're accepted. I want you in my family, and I want you in the conversation. I'm not going to keep you standing around on the outside of the ring. I'm not going to stop the conversation when you show up. Do you know that the Lord will stop everything he's doing to listen to you and engage in conversation with you? Did you know that? We call that prayer. Whatever God is doing, whatever he's got going on with the billions of people that are on this world, he will stop everything he's doing to listen to you. How many of you think that's pretty amazing? Raise your hand. Sometimes you can't even get that in your own house. That never happens with God. You're accepted. Let's read on. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Paul says, hey, I got another label for you. You're redeemed. Redeemed? What does that mean? That means to be bought. That means to be paid for. Now, there's a story that's been around for a long, long time. I have no idea if it's true or not. I mean, probably to some degree it probably is, but it's a great story, and some of you may have heard it. The story of a little boy who uh, loved boats, saved his money up, and uh, he bought parts and pieces, and he built this little, this little sailboat. And he finally got it all done. He, he took it out to, uh, to the lake, and uh, he had it on a string, and, and, he was, and it was sailing. It was, it was so cool. He was so excited because he had worked really, really hard, and he put all of his money into this little boat. And all of a sudden, a, a kind of a, a windstorm came up. It snapped the string, and, and the boat broke off from the string and went sailing off across the lake. And, I mean, there was nothing he could do about it except just kind of watch it sail off and I mean, he was crushed. He's crushed. And some of you, you know, you've had that happen. You've, you've put time and effort and money into something, and then something happened, and it was gone. And like, oh, come on, man. And, and so he goes home, and he's just heartbroken, and his mom asks him about it, and he tells her what happened. And, and uh, so he, she said, well, honey, just start saving up again, and maybe you can do it again. So a few weeks later, they're walking through town, and uh, there's kind of a pawn shop, a resale store, and, and it had a, a window in the front of the store, and he saw a boat that looked like his. And so he stops, and he goes inside, and he looks at it, and sure enough, it was his little boat. And so he goes over to the owner of the store, and he goes, Mr., Mr., he said, that's my boat. I made it. And the owner of the store said, well, you know, that may be true. It may not be true. I don't know, kid. He said, but I know that I didn't get the boat from you. Somebody else brought it in and I bought it from him. So if you want it, you're going to have to buy it. So that little kid went home, got all the money that he'd been saving up again, and he went back and he bought that boat and him and his mom got in the car and he put his arms around that boat and he said, little boat, you're twice mine. Because I built you and I made you and now I've bought you back. See, that's redemption. That's what God did for us through Jesus Christ. You're redeemed. You've been bought back with a price. How much do you think that little boat was worth to that little boy to pay for it not once but twice? Do you understand the value that you have to God? When he was willing to not only make you, but to buy you back. Doesn't matter what the rest of the world says to you, what you're worth, what you're not worth. God says, you're worth enough to me to buy you twice. You're redeemed. And then in that same verse, he says, not only are you redeemed, but you're forgiven. Forgiven. You know one reason why I think image is so important for us? Because we know what our flaws are, don't we? 
I mean, we may not want to tell anybody, but we know what they are. And we know where they are. And we know what we feel like we have to do to try to hide them, don't we? We will go to large measures, sometimes extremes, to hide our flaws, which are many. Because I hate to break it to you, but we're whoever you are in here, you ain't perfect. You ain't perfect. Neither am I. Don't, don't say amen, honey. <laughs> you know what your flaws are. And you try to, so we work on, we, we buy into this whole image thing because we don't want anybody to see our flaws. Let me tell you what Paul is saying that the label of forgiven means to you. It means that you don't have to hide your flaws with Jesus. He already knows what they are. And he says, your shortcomings, your failures, your disappointment, your rebellion, your sin, I know it all and I'm willing to wipe it all away because I forgive you. Amen. Amen. What a label to wear. Forgiven. Forgiven. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to worry what somebody thinks about you. You're forgiven. Then in verse 8, he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. You know what he's saying? He's saying that you're informed. Don't you hate being left in the dark? <laughs> Happens all the time, doesn't it? People are making plans. Happens at work, happens in school. Kids are going to go do this thing together and they're making Nobody told you. Nobody invited you. Somebody got a team together at work and they're doing this and that and other thing. Nobody told you. Nobody invited you. And it feels terrible to be left uninformed. We like to know what's going on. And Paul said, here's what God thinks of you. He wants to bring you on the inside. He wants to fill you in. He wants to reveal the mystery of what has not been understood before to you because you're worth it. You're informed. You don't have to guess. And then in verse 11, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. I think this one is pretty amazing. That means we're heirs. You're an heir. Anybody here want to be in the will of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or some other billionaire? I mean, anybody turn that one down? <laughs> you know, there's an old saying where there's a will, there's a way. There's another saying that says where there's a will, I want to be in it. Especially if it's somebody's got a lot of stuff. I, I heard, heard about a, a cartoon once, and uh, it was an attorney who was uh, reading the uh, last will and testament of the deceased. And uh, he said, um, I, uh, John Smith, being of sound mind and body, spent it all. <laughs> And if you're sitting there waiting to get something, it's like, what? Let me tell you what Jesus did, though, in comparison to John Smith. Jesus didn't spend it all. He paid it all. And he wrote you into the will. He wrote you into the will. He wrote you into the will. And let me tell you something. If that's not cool enough, get this. A will is no good until somebody dies, right? Not only did Jesus write you in the will, he died to put the will in effect. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you're worth. That's the kind of value that you put on yourself, not what the world tells you about yourself. 
Not even what you tell yourself about yourself. Because you, what the Bible says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know yourself as much as God knows you. God says, you're worth all of these things. The Bible tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. You know what that means? What's his is ours. Can you believe that? What's his is ours? Jesus, God, the king of the universe, what's his is ours? Yes. That's who you are. You're a joint heir with Jesus. It's a, and I mean, if that doesn't excite you, then you need to check your pulse. I'm not sure you're still breathing if you're not excited about that. Then in verse 12 and 13, that who he first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the promise, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let me give you one more label this morning you're sealed that's what he says he says you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise you know what this is this is this is about identification and possession you probably have seen pictures of this in in old times medieval times when you know they didn't have the internet right they couldn't go online and see, you know, videos and, and uh, make a phone call and make sure that, hey, so-and-so said so-and-so. So a letter would come, a document that would dictate what should be happening at the receiving end of the letter. Well, how do you verify that? How do you know that the person that, re- that sent it is actually the person that has the power to send it? Because they would put some wax on that thing and everybody had their own seal, and it was the only one like it. And that thing would be sealed in that hot wax, and when you saw that, you knew who the originator was, who the owner was, and if they had the authority and the power to demand and expect what they were demanding and expecting. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what that means? God's got all kinds of promises that have yet to happen, that have yet to come. But he's sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, that seal says, I have the authority, I have the power, and I am putting my steel on this person. They belong to me, and I have the power and the ability to grant to them every promise I have ever made. And that's what he's doing for you because you're worth it. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's what your label should tell you about yourself. Now, listen, why is all of this so important? Because we carry these things around and they haunt us and we believe them, and we start to accept them. But Jesus says, no, you know what? I need you to know that you're not rejected, you're chosen. You're not rejected, you're chosen. And that you're not pathetic, you're not a pity pick, you're redeemed. That if where somebody says, well, we don't want you, God says, you know what? You're adopted. When somebody says, Hey, we'll tolerate you, but we don't really want you hanging around. Jesus says, you're accepted. When somebody says, you're worthless, then Jesus says, you know what? No, I bought you twice. 
You're redeemed. You're worth a lot to me. When somebody says that you're a failure, Jesus says, no, you're not. You know what? Because in my blood, you're forgiven. When somebody says you're clueless, you don't have an idea what's going on in the world, Jesus says, hey, stick out with me because I will keep you informed and I will let you know everything you need to know. When somebody says you're poor, you're white trash, you got nothing, Jesus says, that's all right. You're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I got you everything that you'll ever need. And on top of that, on top of all that, I sent my Holy Spirit to put my seal of approval on the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Why in the world should we carry around all these old labels when Jesus says, rip them off and put a new one on? And church, you got to put them on. You got to put them on. And you got to wear them with joy. And you got to wear them with pride. Because here's the thing. You will never understand who you really are. You will never understand your identity outside of the will and purpose of Jesus Christ. Look in, uh, in verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, if you try to make sense of your life on all of these old labels, it will be a life of constant frustration. It will never make sense. It will never come together. But when you start to wear the labels that Jesus gives you to replace the ones that you've been carrying around for way too long, then you can start to understand your identity and who you are because you start to put yourself underneath the purpose of Jesus Christ. What's his purpose? Look up in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. One of his purposes for you this morning is to be holy and blameless. What does that mean? Well, holy means to be set apart. It means to be identified, be, to be set apart, to be different. But I don't want to be different. Yes, you do. Because these are the labels the world has given you. These are the labels Jesus has given you. This makes you different. You want this. You don't want this. Holy means to be set apart. To be blameless means to be found without fault. Now, let's just be honest. There's nobody in here that's going to work all that out in this lifetime. You ain't going to be without fault, and you ain't going to be completely uh, without fault and sin and, and error and shortcoming. You're not going to work that out in this life. But that's part of the promise of God. That's what he's preparing you for. There is one day that you and I are going to be gathered with Jesus Christ and all the other believers that have ever come before us, and we will be in Jesus Christ, holy and blameless. And you will never feel the weight of all of these ugly labels again, ever. But let me make one thing clear. That will be your future one day, and you will never perfectly achieve that today. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to put on the effort and make, that, make an effort to, to do that. You know what? You were chosen. Live like it. You were predestined. Live like it. You are adopted, live like it. You are accepted, live like it. You're a joint heir of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, live like it, church. Amen. We don't have to wait until eternity to wind up being holy and blameless. Let's start showing what the kingdom looks like now. That's part of his will. Let's look at one more other part of his will. That in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. God's ultimate purpose is to line everything up under Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 
one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything is going to line up under Jesus Christ eventually, one way or the other. There's no getting around it. It's going to happen. But when he says that, he's not saying that everybody's going to wind up being all good. No, everybody's going to admit that Jesus is Jesus. Everybody's going to admit that God is God and Lord is Lord. But he also tells us in Matthew 25, Jesus says that one day when that day comes, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You know what that means? That means if you're not in him, because that's what verse 10 says, he will line together all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him. Adopted as a child into the family of God. You are in Christ. And on that day, everything will line up in him. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, but the only people that will hang out with Jesus for the rest of eternity are the ones that are in him through adoption. And so if you're a guest this morning, or maybe you're a regular, and you don't really know if you have invited Christ into your life or not, you're not sure if, you're not sure if you drew your last breath today that you would spend eternity with him. You're, you're just not sure. We're going to give you an opportunity here in a little bit to make that decision for Jesus Christ. And as we get ready to, to wrap up this message, I'm not going to read it to you, but if you look in verses 15 through 23, the rest of the chapter, here's what Paul does. Paul basically says, here's my prayer. We have an amazing God. All power belongs to him. And my prayer for you is that he will give you the wisdom to understand this lesson. He'll give you the insight to understand this lesson. Because if you understand this lesson, it changes everything not only about your future, it changes everything about how you live today. Paul's prayer as a teacher for the church in Ephesus. Paul's prayer as a teacher for the church in Orchardville is that you will have the wisdom and the insight to understand this lesson. That the world may say this about you, you may even say it about yourself, but this is what God says about you and this is the label that matters. And we need to live in this label today. And if you're not in this label, one day you will acknowledge these things, but you won't get to hang out with the Lord for the rest of eternity. You will be separated from him. I pray that the Lord will give you wisdom to understand this lesson. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up to the platform. And I'm also going to... Um, Ask everyone to stand up. On your way out the door today, we're going to give you one of these. We're going to have one of these for each of the next four weeks. If you were in school, you might have been in school once upon a time when you had note cards and you had a little ring and you flipped note cards. Remember that? And we're going to add one of these each week. And this is going to be our declaration about what God is saying through the word to us. So I'm going to read a portion of this and then I'm going to ask you as a congregation to read it back to me uh, and claim this this morning. Okay, here we go. I am an accepted, approved, and chosen child of the King. I will conduct my life today as such. I will not be influenced by what others may think of me because I know I am loved by God. I will do my best today to live a life that will honor him and point people to him. I am ready to have my faith enlarged And my commitment strengthened. 
this is my declaration. So help me God. As the worship team begins to play, I ask you, church, are you ready to live this out? Now, let's just be honest. You can't live this out if you're not in Christ Jesus already. If you are in Christ Jesus, you may have decided, um, you know, I got other things to worry about and you've just sort of let this slide. You've accepted what the world is saying about you instead of what God is saying about you. And that's got to change. It's got to change. So we're going to open up the altars here in a moment for you to do whatever God is leading you to do. But before we do that, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. If you're a believer, you just start doing business with God. But if you're not sure that you belong to God this morning, if you're not sure that you would be welcomed into heaven because you're standing in Him because of what you've placed your faith in Him and Him alone, then today can all of that can change. If that's you and there's something stirring in your heart and your spirit right now and you feel something churning and you're not sure what it is, I'll tell you what it is. It's the Holy Spirit saying, do this, do this. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation right now and, and I encourage you to invite Christ into your life right now. Just pray this prayer quietly wherever you are with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. I invite you this morning to come into my life to forgive my sin to adopt me into your family God help me to live for you I don't know what all that will take but I know it's what I want I pledge my life to you today and I receive your salvation in Jesus name now with high, heads bowed and eyes closed prayed that prayer this morning I want to meet you down here I want you to walk up here and nobody's going to know but I want you to come and take my hand and I want you to shake my hand and say hey I prayed that prayer with you I asked Jesus into my life I want to celebrate that if you're a Christ follower and you need to do some business with the Lord this altar is open so as the worship team sings come and let's honor the Lord with how we respond to his message. If you prayed to invite Christ into your life, I'd love to talk to you this morning. need to claim the labels that Jesus has put on you and get rid of the labels of the world come and claim them this morning you are the God that saves you are the one that rescues me you You are the God that saves, and you call me from the grave, you rescue me, ransom out of the wreckage, pull from the ashes of sin. And you call me from 
I hear the song, I hear the song 